And now, here they are, the Beatles! Hi, I'm Justin Shears, and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser-known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. So George Martin says, well, have you got anything you'd like to do? We said, uh, we've got a song called Please Please Me. This is one John had uh, just written. And it was kind of slow Roy Orbison kind of thing. Come on, jump, jump. Come on, please, please me. Big nose at the end, just like Orbison. I'd heard Roy Overson doing Only the Lonely or something, and I was trying to please me, that's where that came from. And also, I was always intrigued by the words of please lend your little ears to my please, being Crosby songs. I was always intrigued by the, the double use of the word please. I said, okay, we'll give it a whirl. Let's try your song. Let's see if it works. And we did. And at the end of that session, I was able to take them, you've got your first number one. Great. With their debut single, Love Me Do, peaking at number 17, and their second single, Please Please Me, freshly released on the 11th of January, 1963, the Beatles were beginning to make inroads into the British charts. Sales of both discs prompted EMI Records to arrange for the group to record their debut album. Producer George Martin. Let's go back a bit. Uh, the, if you remember, the, the very first record we issued was Love Me Do. Second record we issued was Please Please Me, which was only arrived at after much, uh, you know, much doubt on my part whether they could ever write a, a hit song. From that moment onwards, they blossomed. They, they became wonderful songwriters. But before they showed evidence of that, I still had to have an album out. And so what I did was, I mean, I'd, I'd been up to the cavern and I'd seen what they could do. I knew their repertoire, I knew what they were able to perform. And I said, let's record every song you got. Come down to the studios and we'll just whistle through them in a day. The Beatles already had four songs in the can. Love Me Do and P.S. I Love You, their first single as well as Please Please Me and Ask Me Why, their second. The group gathered in Abbey Road's number 2 studio on the 11th of February 1963 with a collection of five more original songs, one of which would not make the cut and would be re-recorded for their second album only months later. Their brief? To record the remaining ten tracks needed to fill the album in a single day. 
John Lennon was suffering from a heavy cold, which can be heard throughout his vocals on each track. His remedy? A jar of Zoob's throat lozenges and a packet of cigarettes placed on the studio's Steinway piano. The session began at 10am sharp. Take five. If you count, if you go, yeah, it works better if you do like the beats and that, you know, think the beats and the whole. One, two, three. Takes five and six of There's a Place, the very first original recorded in this marathon session for the Please Please Me LP. The song was attempted ten times before the group and producer George Martin felt they had it right. The next cab off the rank was the number which would soon become a crowd favourite at live shows. Written largely by Paul, I saw her standing there was a classic example of early 60s guitar pop, with boy meets girl lyrics, chugging rhythm guitar from Lennon, and a bass line which was borrowed note for note from Chuck Berry's I'm Talking About You. Even this early in their recording careers, the Beatles were very keen to make it perfect. They take seven. <laughs> and again. Well, she was just 17. 
takes 7, 8 and 9 of I Saw Her Standing There. The Beatles would eventually revert back to take one of this song, as it contained the best feel, especially the guitar solo. But it was Paul's spirited count-in from take 9 which was tacked onto the front of that very first take to create the memorable start to the song and to the whole album. By this point, it was now 1 o'clock and time for lunch. The Beatles opted to eat in the studio and continued to rehearse throughout their break. A fine start to the day, but only two songs in the can so far. Once lunch was over, the group recorded George Harrison's first EMI lead vocal on a Lennon and McCartney number. John had written this song based around the opening lines of I'm Wishing, a song from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which his mother used to sing. With six takes of the basic track completed, the Beatles returned to overdub hand claps and backing vocals onto the second track of the tape, thus creating Take 7. Track two, take seven. You'll never know how much I really love you You'll never know how much I really care Listen The Beatles and Do You Want to Know a Secret? One of the oral oddities of the Beatles' first two albums, when listened to in stereo, is the panning of vocals to the right channel and most of the instruments to the left. George Martin explains the reasons for this. We only had mono tape. We did have stereo tape, but that was reserved for classical people. So I got our engineers to adapt a stereo machine to make it a twin track machine because I was very conscious when I was recording the Beatles that I wanted to keep the voices and the backing separate until after they'd gone home so I could then put those two together with compression and whatever and make a hard-hitting record. And that was it. I put all the rhythm on one side and all the voices on the other and we compressed them down to a hard sound. It wasn't until quite a bit later that four-track came in. Honey. 
taste of honey tasting much sweeter than Take six of A Taste of Honey, the first cover song recorded by the Beatles in just five takes, with overdubbing of a double-tracked lead vocal by Paul to add some depth. Paul was not happy with this attempt, so a seventh take was recorded, which soon became the master. The Beatles continued to overdub various bits and pieces onto the songs already recorded. Here they add hand claps to the LP opener. Echoed claps at me. <laughs> 17, track 2, take 11.
By five o'clock in the evening, the Beatles were only halfway through recording the songs needed to complete their album. So they turned to another of their own compositions, Misery, a song written for Helen Shapiro, with whom they happened to be currently touring and had taken a day out to record at Abbey Road. Recording this track would provide some amusing moments when the lyrics proved somewhat troublesome. Should we go? The world is treating me bad misery I'm the kind of guy who never used to cry Treating me bad misery I'm the kind of guy Who never used to cry I won't see her no more. Yeah, I won't see her no more. I could see how they call her. The world is treating me bad. takes four, five, and six of Misery. Nine days later, the song would be treated to a simple piano overdub by George Martin himself in the Beatles' absence. 
It was now tea time and the album was still not complete. Only five usable songs had been recorded. When added to the existing four tracks, it gave them a total of nine, leaving space for five more songs to reach the album quota of 14 tracks. Another original, Hold Me Tight, was attempted, but quickly rejected when it was realised that the arrangement wasn't working as desired. In a move which would be seen as cheating today, but very common in the 1960s, the Beatles delved into their stage repertoire of cover songs to fill the last five album spots. Unfortunately for fans and scholars of the band, several of the session tapes from this day were stolen or lost, thus making it impossible for us to hear any alternate recordings from this part of the day. The first of these covers was Anna, originally recorded by one of John Lennon's favourite black American singers, Arthur Alexander. Next up was Ringo's debut vocal on a song originally recorded by black American girl group The Shirelles, a song which was to become Ringo's only vocal spot on tours for the next two years. Now something else we've had a lot of people asking for is to hear Ringo sing Boys. Are you ready Ringo? blistering vocal by Ringo Starr in a live BBC recording from mid-1963. Another Shirelles number, Baby It's You, was given the Beatle treatment before George earned his second vocal for the album with the song by The Cookies. Basically this album was just what we did on live, you know, in, in the clubs. So um, I think we just kept running through songs. What about this? What about this? How does that go? And we play a bit, and then he said, "Well, what else have we got?" James, my baby's got me locked up in chains. 
13 out of 14 songs had now been committed to tape. The Beatles needed just one more track to complete the album. Paul McCartney recalls what happened next. And 10.30 that evening, John finally, about 10 o'clock, he sang Twist and Shout. It's because his voice was going all day and he knew he couldn't, he could only give it sort of one or two goes and it would just rip it, which it did. And you can hear it on the record, but it was a pretty cool performance. I couldn't sing the damn thing, I was just screaming. We'll sing it up, baby. Twist and Shout, the Isley Brothers hit which was the last song recorded in a marathon 12-hour session. The Beatles attempted a second take, but by this time of night, John Lennon, who was suffering from a heavy cold, had nothing left in the tank. Even the zoobs and the cigarettes were of no use to him. But he did leave us with one of the great rock and roll vocals of all time. And so it was. Ten tracks recorded in a single day, added to two singles in their B-sides, marked an impressive and exciting entry into the British album charts. The album was released six weeks later on the 22nd of March, and by the 4th of May it had reached the coveted number one spot, 
where it would remain for another seven months, only to be replaced, quite predictably, by the Beatles' second LP release. Well, that's it for this episode. With control over the record charts established, next time we'll listen in on another medium that the Beatles were set to dominate in 1963, that of radio. Until next time, 